Hello, everybody. Welcome to Theory Lab, the American Cancer Society's research podcast. I'm Joe Cotter, and I'm with Sunshine Susanna Greer. Hey, Dr. Greer. Hello, Stormy Joe Cotter. How are you? It is a stormy, nasty day. So my daughter's downstairs doing her science homework. I can no longer help her with it because I'm not a scientist. Big old <laughs> dummy from Texas. You still helping your kid out with his science homework, or does he not want help from... Dr. Greer. He doesn't need help, man. Science is yeah. his jam, which makes me so happy. But I could. But yeah. um, yeah. yeah. Right on. I- well, we talked some science today. Metabolism. I loved what you um you said toward the end about how it's turning a cancer cell's greed against itself. So <laughs> I was going to ask you about your worst qualities and what your Achilles heel is, but let's skip that. Um, let's just talk some science. So we spoke with Dr. Thalise Papianakopoulos. He is associate professor in the Department of Pathology at NYU's Grossman School of Medicine. Works in a cool place, great view from his office, and uh, great view inside of his beautiful mind. Man, he was just opening the window to cell metabolism for us, Susanna. Yeah, I loved uh, our conversation with the lease because he just helped us remember that everything about cancer cells, I mean, they're just so sneaky because they're just using things that normal cells do all the time, but in these super, in this case, kind of greedy ways to circumvent normal processes for their own bad ways. And in this case, it's to make energy, right? Um, So we're gonna talk a lot about metabolism and why cancer cells need so much of it, right? So why do cancer cells need so much energy? So we're going to talk about that first, and then we're going to talk about how they go about getting it, and then what they do with it, right? That's kind of part one. The cool part is, just like humans, too much of a good thing, so too many snicker bars is not great for humans. Too much energy is also not a great thing for cancer cells, and Thalese has figured that out one. So we have some really cool observations about how they figured that out. And then, like all things with cancer cells, if you figured out what the Achilles heel is, then we can make a targeted therapy to go after it. Because in general, the cancer cell is doing something that the normal cell does too, but they're doing it in hyperdrive. And so we can find a way to target In this case, the fact that the cancer cell is needing way more energy, and so because of that, it is generating way more byproducts of that energy, and in this case, toxic molecules, and so we can go after that and with some really amazing therapies, which in this case have gone all the way from this basic science observation to now phase two clinical trials. So. It's a really wonderful introduction to the world of energy and metabolism and why cancer cells are super greedy. Hey, Phillies, how are you? I'm doing great. Thank you. How are you? You know, it is a rainy day in Atlanta, but I am pretty psyched to talk to you. This is going to be really fun. So if you're ready, we're going to dive in. Sounds good. Let's do it. Okay. So we're going to talk about metabolism, but we need to help our audience to kind of get in the same frame of mind that you and I are in. And that's because 
when we think about cells and cell biology, metabolism really refers to reactions that happen inside organisms and produce energy. So what is metabolism? First of all, I guess I have two questions. So what does metabolism do for a normal cell? Yeah, so um, as you said, the metabolism is essentially a set of uh, uh, reactions that happen in, in cells. And depending on what cell it is, right, if it's an immune cell or if it's a brain cell or it's a muscle cell or a fat cell or liver cell, there's any specialized cell in different tissues of our body, they have you know, distinct, they can have distinct metabol metabolism, distinct set of reactions that are important for the, these the, the identity of these cells and their function. So, uh, of course, a brain cell has dif has a different function than, uh, say, the liver cell. And metabolism, their metabolism is actually quite distinct. And it's uh, it, and metabolism involves essentially it's a balance between the uptake of nutrients from the environment and the utilization of those nutrients in the cell through these different reactions that produce, for example, energy or produce certain sort of important products that these cells need to make. Um, so, you know, you're an immunologist. It's interesting that, you know, different immune cell populations have completely different distinct sort of metab metabolic reactions, metabolism, and that kind of defines their, their identity and is important actually for their function. Okay, well, well fair enough. So, so you lay out that we've got all, all these different overwhelming amounts of different types of cells in our body. And you remind us that we've got fat cells and muscle cells and liver cells and the all important, of course, immune cells. Mm -hmm. And they all are going to need nutrients and they're going to undergo different types of reactions, metabolic reactions to use those nutrients and the goal is really to produce energy. Mm -hmm. So why, so we're still talking about normal cells. We're gonna get to, of course, cancer cells, but why would a normal cell then need energy? And you, you gave the example of an immune cell. So what might an immune cell need to do that would require energy? Um, so an immune cell, yeah, for example, in um, in response to an infection, uh, or actually, interestingly, in, in response to cancer, which we'll get to, uh, may need to proliferate, may need to grow. So metabolism is sort of integrated into a lot of these functions, for example, that these immune cells have. And so proliferation is something fundamental, right? So you need to make a new cell, you need energy, you need the building blocks of a cell. So you need lipids to make the membrane, you need mm -hmm. protein, um, so you need amino acids for the, to make the proteins and you need nucleotides to make DNA and, uh, and to make RNA, right? The fundamental blocks of any new cell. So in order to do that, you know, for example, immune cells that react to an infection, they have to grow, they have to proliferate. Uh, so they take nutrients from their environment and they put, sort of funnel them through these reactions, these biochemical reactions, metabolic reactions that will lead to making the building blocks of a new cell. Okay, cool. So, so I think I really appreciate you laying that out for us because you helped us understand that all cells all the time 
need energy just for normal things to happen, for growth, for proliferation, for, as you described, for an immune cell. If, if an immune cell is dealing with an infection, they're going to have to divide, proliferate to make more immune cells to um, respond to the infection or, of course, to a cancer because one immune cell isn't going to be able to, to really do anything about resolving an infection. So this is all normal. But in the case of cancer, the metabolic requirements are different for cells. So I think maybe let's talk about that. So as a cell becomes a cancer cell, help us to talk about energy requirements. So how does a cell's need for energy or how could a cell's need for energy change? And I guess by that, you could also think about metabolism. How would those needs change as it becomes cancerous? Yeah, so in some ways, there's a lot of um, um, analogies, a lot of similarities between uh, a proliferating, say, immune cell <laughs> that needs to respond to infection and, for example, a cancer cell. That uh, that also has this uncontrollable growth and proliferation. So there's a lot of metabolism can be very similar between these sort of two states between a proliferating normal cell and a cancer cell. Uh, but in in the context of cancer cell, of course, in the cancer cells, of course, they they're not really serving any normal physiological function. It's just this uncontrollable growth driven by you know mutations that drive the cancer. And it turns out a lot of the mutations that promote cancer one of the fundamental things they do is they rewire the biochemical metabolic reactions in cells in order to make them function more efficiently. So in order to uh, uh, promote, for example, as we said earlier, promote the, produ the production of like nucleotides, amino acids, uh, lipids, uh, and importantly, make these reactions in some way more efficient in order to produce new cells. And this is a is it's a it's it's both uh, the the events that happen in the cells themselves, but also the uptake of the nutrients from the environment. So cancer cells are particularly uh, avid consumers of uh, of, for example, sugar, glucose. So they take up glucose from the circulation from the blood, and then they funnel it into these biochemical reactions that allow them to grow faster, to proliferate, to make new cells. They uptake fat. They uptake uh, amino acids. So. Uh, so they're not only good at like producing these metabolic products that are needed to make a new cell, they're also very good at taking them up from the environment as well. Um, and then in some ways, creating a, a nutrient-deprived environment around them for normal cells. Oh, okay. Well, that's kind of interesting. So, you know, I was as you were talking, I was thinking about like if you had a bunch of factories and thought of a cancer cell as being a factory surrounding a bunch of normal cells that were also factories. Could you, would it be a reasonable analogy to say that the cancer cell, as it acquires more mutations that allow it to divide, that as you said, it's becoming in a way a better and better factory. It's becoming more efficient. It's able to kind of grab up more of the essential ingredients, as you said. And for this factory in particular, we're going to need things like fat and sugar mm -hmm. to make the essential components 
that this cancer cell needs. And so it's able to grab up more of them from its neighbors that are normal cells. Mm -hmm. uh, so it's able to use up <laughs> kind of the essential um, ingredients from the environment and able to then produce more of the things the factory needs to make in order to make its components, which in this case are more of itself, more cells. So is, is that a decent way to think about it as a, as a tiny little factory? Absolutely. It's, uh, it's exactly what it is. <laughs> uh, it's a little factory that, you know, uh, has been shaped by, by the mutations that it's, that, that created it. And, um, it's just a very, you know, efficient, in some ways also inefficient because, uh, <laughs> um, because it, it can really drive in some ways it's its own, uh, sometimes it can cause itself to uh, uptake all the nutrients from the environment or the the building blocks and create a starve itself essentially from uh, so that can also happen so there's a, it's a constant there's a constant sort of evolution of the of the cancer cells trying to acquire more and more sort of um, metabolic products from the environment and and it's a constant adaptation uh, and it involves the cancer cell itself but also the surrounding environment such as the immune cells, for example. And it's thought that there's also competition between the cancer cells and the surrounding cells often for nutrients. There's definitely a lot of research now being done to understand how, in the context of, um, uh, for example, immunotherapy, how, how tumor cells interact with, with immune cells and exchange nutrients. Um, and there's a lot of effort being done to understand whether we can leverage that therapeutically. So I, I love that thinking about these cancer cells as these factories, because to me, that seems like it's really helping this cancer cell, right? It's helping the cancer cell to kind of steal up all these essential components from the environment and really gear up the cancer cell to produce more of the components, in this case, the lipids and the fats and all of these um, building blocks, as you said, the RNA and the DNA that we're going to need to make more cancer cells. And so this seems like it's a really good thing for the cancer cell, but because it's going to help it to divide and make more cells. But it sounds like one of the things that you're insinuating is that it could also be bad because it maybe is causing some potential damage to the cancer cell. So maybe Talk about the fat. So this is this higher level of metabolism. Mm -hmm. Is there talk to us about that? Is there some some negative, some damage that this higher level of metabolism can cause to cancer cells? Yeah, so absolutely. Yeah. Um, so of course everything comes with a cost. There's no infinite energy. There's no infinite, um, you know, um, nutrition. As they as they have this heightened sort of metabolism, cancer cells also, uh, as a byproduct of this, produce a lot of free radicals, which are toxic to, to any cell, including cancer cells. So, so these radicals can actually react with, uh, or can damage DNA, they can damage RNA, they can damage lipids. So, and by, by damaging these, they can lead to eventually, in some cases, uh, uh, cell death. So there's a fine balance between yes, this factory working optimally and producing all these all these these products that are needed to make you know make new cancer cells, but it comes 
as you said, comes to with a cost, and that cost is some of these byproducts that are sort of uh, unwanted and need to be somehow. Now, this is a new challenge that cancer so comes to, which is has to somehow find a way to clear these toxic products and get them out, so so the cells don't the cancer cells don't die. Well, that's pretty cool. I mean, it sounds like it's a fine balance that this little mini factory has, right? Of being like the biggest guy on the block, stealing up all the ingredients from the local environment, making the most of the supply or taking taking all the supply chain. Mm -hmm. But then by doing that can also lead to potentially the cell, the cancer cells own destruction. So, so tell to us a little bit more about how this could impact potentially the ability of a cancer cell to maybe metastasize. Yeah, so um, a major thing that happens with metastasis is there's a lot of, um, so if you think about it, the cancer cell now leaves its local environment where it's been potentially, you can say, happy and uh, has the nutrients it needs, etc. gets into the circulation, a totally different environment and eventually gets to a different tissue, another totally different environment. So it has to sort of adapt to the nutrient availability in the different locations. And eventually, once adapting, it can actually grow in the in this you know other tissue where it metastasized to. So there's a lot of adaptation that has to happen. And one of the things that happens is uh, there's a lot of, in those different environments, there's different uh, levels of these uh, radicals, these reactive oxygen species that we discussed, and by overcoming the production of these radicals uh, and clearing them out of the cancer cell is one of the major things they have to do in order to be able to, metast to metastasize. Now, the way they do that is there's several several ways they can do this. Uh, one way, then, and what we're our group is studying is they acquire mutations in in genes that actually regulate the, the ability of cells to clear these radicals out of the cell. By getting mutations in this pathway that does this clearance of radicals, cancer cells sort of hijack this pathway that normally can do this in all cell, in normal cells, they, and they just turn it on constantly. So now this allows them to not just only be able to turn on these biochemical reactions on and produce the building blocks for new cells, you know, without control, but also be able to clear all the, the toxic byproducts that come from, from this heightened metabolism. It's also interesting because another way that can happen is, turns out through dietary antioxidants. So there is some evidence that contrary to popular belief that actually antioxidants not uh, in the diet, not only promote the growth of tumors, but can also uh, promote the metastasis of tumors. So in, so in some ways, uh, instead of the cancer cell having to get mutations in this pathway that produces antioxidants and clears these toxic radicals, they can also just take up these antioxidants from the diet, right, if a, an individual is consuming a lot of them. So let's go back to our factory, and let's assume that our factory has been super successful and managed to use up all the nutrients in location number one, generate all the fats and sugars and RNA and DNA, and was successful and being the best factory around, which for us meant 
made copies of itself and made enough copies of itself that we were able to decide as a factory that we needed to expand. And for a cancer cell, that means, as you said, metastasize. So we're gonna we're going to we've got we've got the biggest factory in town and we can expand to another location, which is a terrible problem for cancer patients and for research and clinicians. So we're gonna metastasize. So we're gonna move through the bloodstream and find another site. And one of the things that you shared with us is that two problems. Number one, has to set up that supply chain and get all of those nutrients through metabolism to generate those fats and RNA and DNA and all the things that we need to start the process over again, but has a second problem. And the second problem is that by becoming such a great factory, you said nothing comes without a cost. And the cost here is a production in free radicals, Mm -hmm. um, which is toxic. So there's this balance. And so far, our factory has been successful. But we know now to be successful again, Mm -hmm. which means in our case is to set up the second factory. So a successful metastasis, which is what, and from a clinical perspective, we want to stop. The cancer cell has to overcome this problem that it's also building up what is essential. It's essentially its own kind of death sentence, which is an accumulation of toxic molecules, which are a byproduct of metabolism. And we can just call those, um, I think, free radicals is the name. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, yeah, it's a, it's a, it's essentially like the factory is just making toxic waste essentially that, that builds up within the factory and then, you know, kills it from within. So, uh, that's the, that's, yeah, the analogy you just mentioned is perfect. Yeah. All right. So cancer cells have their own, they have a couple of ways to deal with this. One way is that they're going to take advantage of an intrinsic, so an existing pathway within all cells, within normal cells. So if we were, we're thinking about our, our factory. So let's say um, if we think about, so like in I Love Lucy, where you had the conveyor belt and all the chocolates that were on the mm-hmm. conveyor belt. So like there's this, there's a conveyor belt that already exists that cells use, normal cells use to get rid of free radicals. So cancer cells are like, awesome, we'll just use that. We'll just tweak it a little bit and maybe make it run like 10 times faster. So that's one way, right, that cancer cells, you said, can get rid of all of this extra toxic material. Is that right? Yes. Now, help us to understand, that's that's one area of research. Now, another area of research in your lab has to do with how antioxidants can affect cancer progression. And that has to do with dietary antioxidants in the diet, which can also um, help tumors. So tumors, so our factory has, they're already, our factory is already taking advantage of turning up the conveyor belt and then the factory may also be taking advantage of certain antioxidants in our diet. So will you tell us a little bit more about that? Yeah, so so just like most nutrients, just like most uh, like sugar, 
and fat and protein that it can that the cancer cells can can take from their environment. Um, they can also take up antioxidants, and antioxidants are you know are found in our in our bodies in some amount. However, we can diet obviously just like sugar and fat and protein. Diet can really impact the availability of of antioxidants, and there's some research, quite a bit of research actually now that has shown, including from our group and others, and actually in studies both in, in animals, but also in humans actually, in trials in humans, that has shown that taking high amounts of antioxidants is beneficial to cancer cells. So dietary antioxidants that are consumed can actually promote the ability of cancer cells to grow and metastasize. So they can help the factory work better and clear the toxic byproducts that accumulate that would normally accumulate in this factory. Dietary antioxidants can get those out and then allow the factory to keep growing and you know, setting up shops somewhere else potentially too. Those dietary antioxidants can come from many different sources. Of course, it could be just just pure supplements that are antioxidants, or it could be they could be coming from certain certain foods we eat, like for example, vegetables or fruit. Of course, there's much less, there's traces, I would say, of antioxidants in a lot of food as compared to what what really is found in, in supplements that you can just take off the shelf um, and consume, right? So, so, of course, the amount of antioxidants is important and matters, right? Of course, this is still an area of a lot of investigation, unclear, you know, how much amount-wise, how much really is, is sort of too much or too little. Uh, in terms of like antioxidants in the diet, right? And in, in relation to their ability to let the fact help the factory, the cancer cell grow better, faster, and also metastasize. So, I mean, it, one of the things that we really struggle with messaging to the cancer community are things like this, which mm. is certainly don't stop eating fruits and vegetables. Fruits and vegetables are are very good for our mm. health, but but downstream, the message may be to consider or reconsider the supplements that we take or the amount of supplements that we take. So what are you most, I guess, excited about right now and what might be the downstream kind of therapeutic applications of your research? There's a few things that we're excited about and I think the community is excited about. Um, is, so now that we sort of understand that now there's two now that we have a clear idea of like there's two different ways this cancer cells can through this heightened metabolism uh, they produce these anti these uh, these oxidants right these toxic products and then they have to find ways to clear them now that we understand that there's two ways that can happen one is the diet right consuming antioxidants from the diet and the other ways by these mutations that cause that enable the cancer cells to sort of clear these toxic products we try to under, understand, okay, does that come with some sort of cost to the cancer cells? Does the does their ability now to make these antioxidants or consume them from the diet make them ha- somehow susceptible to to to, um, to 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 new therapies? Is there some sort of Achilles heel that um, in response to having this high antioxidant production? Uh, and turns out there is. So making antioxidants is also a, uh, a metabolic process. It also requires nutrients from the environment. 
in order for the cancer cells to be able to make these antioxidants. So what we and others have found is that basically underst uh, by understanding this process of making antioxidants now and how cancer cells do it, now you can go target the metabolism, the reactions that allow cells to make antioxidants. And by doing this, we can actually stop them from being able to clear these toxic byproducts and therefore allowing these toxic byproducts to build up in cells and cancer cells and kill them. So, and kill the, the sort of the cancer cell factory. And can I, can I just ask, because the, the reason that this would work, and so in our, in our language, we would call this a targeted therapy, is because the cancer cell, and in our analogy, it's the factory, mm -hmm. the factory has a whole lot more of these free radicals, this super successful factory, than maybe the competition that it squashed, which in yeah. our case would be the normal cell. So the normal cell is also going to have free radicals, because we said the normal cell has the same conveyor belt, it's yeah. making the same chocolates, um, but has so many fewer free radicals that the therapy that you develop would not impact or would have a much lesser impact on a normal cell. Exactly, yes, because the normal cell doesn't produce as many of these toxic byproducts, um, so, these therapies would primarily impact the cancer cells and not the the normal surrounding cells, either in the tissue where the tumor first started or in the metastasis. So one of the uh, interesting uh, uh, things that we sort of started understanding uh, about how the what antioxidant production does is basically you take, to, as I said before, to make antioxidants, that's also a metabolic process and you look on nutrients and you require um, cells, uh, uh, nutrients from the environment, like sugar, amino acids, and then the cancer cells use that, the, the, those nutrients from the environment, they uptake them, and then they basically in the factory now produce, along with a lot of the metabolic, other metabolic reactions, they produce antioxidants that allow them to clear this toxic waste. So we've started to understand that there's a balance, uh, and then there's only so much antioxidants that the cancer cell can produce without and funneling metab metab metabolic nutrients to make antioxidants. And by doing so, they take away from other metabolic reactions that the cancer cells have to do to grow. So, so for example, their ability to make nucleotides so that, and DNA, their ability to make uh, amino acids for proteins. When you make a lot of antioxidants, you divert away from some of those other building blocks for cancer cells. And by doing that, now you create sort of, um, sort of bottlenecks in the, in the conveyor belt. <laughs> so, and, and the ability of the cancer cells to, to, make, to make these important building blocks because they're, they're yes, they're making antioxidants, they're clearing, clearing, clearing the waste, but now that means that some of the other conveyor belts, some of the other products are actually being barely functioning uh, or um, the, uh, or sort of limited. And now we can go target those as well. We can go block those those uh, with, with targeted therapies. We can go block those other those other reactions. And again, this would be something that would be specific to cancer cells and not to normal cells, which do not have the same kind of build up heightened metabolism. Yeah, I love that. I love that 
when you said everything has a price, uh, even for cancer cells, everything has an Achilles heel. So yep. I, I'd love for you to share with us so that ACS has funded um, part of this research project for you. Is is there a, a part of what you're doing that ACS has funded that really helps to fill a gap in the field and help to move cancer research forward? Absolutely. I think the funding from ACS has really been instrumental in our work to be able to really be able to understand, you know, what we just discussed, how the factory works and how uh, the factory, uh, how cancer cells set up a new factory, how they metastasize. So this requires a lot of, you know, a lot of effort from individuals in the lab, a lot of, uh, um, it's expensive research. <laughs> it requires a lot of animal work. It requires um, a lot of reagents in the lab. So, and as I said, several several different individuals in the lab are actually dedicated to this kind of research. And so ACS funding is instrumental for us to be able to sort of bring the expertise of different individuals in the lab and then have them focus on, on this problem to find new targeted therapies for cancers that uh, produce these antioxidants. I would say in some ways this research is a little bit sort of uh, some of it's a, a little bit risky, but uh, it, I would say it's high risk, high reward <laughs> uh, because based on the the work that we've done with ACS funding, now there's actually clinical trials in patients where we're testing the we're testing some of the things that we discussed. So, for example, drugs that target particular metabolic pathways, which are uh, functioning suboptimally in cancer cells that produce a lot of antioxidants. So now the idea is in patients that have high antioxidant production in their tumors, we have ways to to assess that. Now in those patients, it's being tested what, uh, whether specific targeting specific metabolic enzymes using uh, new drugs can be a new therapeutic a new, a new therapeutic strategy. Uh, so this That's is kind of like a very precision medicine kind of approach to to treating uh, to treating uh, cancer, and specifically in our case, we've mostly focused on lung cancer, um, which is, you know, of course, a major major problem uh, in the U.S. and worldwide. The number one cause of deaths, um, still a major issue, even with the you know the decrease in um, uh, in smoking, uh, it, it's still a major clinical problem. That's fascinating. It sounds like from this initial ACS investment and from from your inquiry where you're really asking a pretty basic question, which is how can being greedy mm -hmm. on mm -hmm. the side of a cancer cell, yeah. being just exceptionally greedy and for the most part, really exceptional around that greed, how, how can we use that greed that a cancer cell has of just gobbling up all the resources in a local environment. Mm -hmm. How can we use that greed to the detriment of a cancer cell? And it sounds like you've really found a way to target that and to move that really basic observation into the clinic and now into a clinical trial. So that's, that's amazing. Yeah. And it's, you know, coming into cancer research, obviously, you know, uh, we do the research. We find we're excited to come in every day and do this work because it's first of all fascinating from a basic biology perspective. But you know, ultimately, you know, we're here to do the, the research to 
to really identify new cures for for patients and it's it's difficult but every now and then you have this sort of like big discovery or that you actually feel hopeful can lead to something uh, some changes in the clinic and the patients and i really i'm really enthusiastic about the fact that this some of the work that we've done in the lab again with a lot of it with acs funding the last three or four years is, is now actually being tested in patients, which is, you know, uh, I guess everyone everyone's dream um, as far as a cancer researcher, cancer researcher's dream goes. Absolutely. Well, we're so incredibly excited for you. And of course, we have our fingers crossed for, um, for you and your team and on behalf of every cancer patient. So thank you for joining us today. And is there any Additional message you would like to share. Many of our listeners are cancer patients and their caregivers and survivors. I think there's a lot of hope out there because I think you know, we're at I think we're at this inflection point in cancer research where you know there's there's people being um, with for example immunotherapy and a lot of these new therapies that are coming out people be, are being cured right so even you know lung cancer there's lung cancer patients who you know. 10 years ago, 20 years ago, would have had no hope. Now there's there's a lot of patients that are cured. So we're at a very important point in cancer research where uh, the discoveries for, that we that we have in the lab, basic labs like ours, can really go into the clinic very quickly and impact patients' lives. So um, so it's a I think there's a there's a lot of hope and excitement and and. I, I mean, this work would not be possible without the the support of like foundations like the ACS, who really really cared to sort of move the move the science forward and therapies forward. Well, you're right. I think the pathway between basic research and the clinic has never been shorter. So we're so excited to be a part of it, and we're rooting for you. So we'll let you get back to work, Felice. Hope you have a great rest of your afternoon. Thank you. It was great discussing with you. I really enjoyed it.